Copy link. I might mess up your format, and I'm sorry about that. You know, I guess I should say I'm used to it. After um, all, this I... is episode 74 of <laughs> Off the Crossfire. <laughs> yeah. right, Very nice. Like podcast. Very good, Matt. Do it when I'm not looking. Why won't yeah. this? Oh my goodness! Wait, okay. who's the other person in this document other than you and? Why are I got there it two? up on my uh, iPad. Okay, so you and are both yourself computer? and either anonymous hedgehog or anonymous chinchilla. I shouldn't be anonymous, but I don't know. Well, there's actually you, in. and then there's another one. Oh, that's very confusing. I don't like that. I know there's it's me. stressful. I don't know. I'm on my phone trying to do something. I don't know if one of those is me. Now we're going to get off the phone because it's not letting me do what I want to do. So now I've got to do it all on my laptop. Yeah, I'm going to start closing apps just to give it every this. Oh, got a lot of tabs on that one, though. Anyway. Hey, guys. <laughs> hey, <laughs> how's it going? It, it, it's good. It's, I'm uh, uh, still a little in shock that uh, we're recording an episode right now in which we're pleased about the state of things. And still talking about a season that is ongoing. I'm, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I, I would, as I mentioned on the other previous episodes before the Kansas City game and the Seattle game, I, w- I was perfectly content <laughs> for the season to be over at this point. Um, and I don't know how many times Taylor Twelman can say house money or the words in and around. Okay, I know I mentioned <laughs> this to you guys, and I tweeted it that he does he he doesn't he doesn't stop saying in and around. So he was saying it in reference to actual spaces on the field. He'll say like in and around the midfield line or in and around the 18 in and around the seven yard. He even said in and around the 12 yard area, which I think he was meaning the penalty <laughs> area. And then. On the replay of the winning goal of our game, like, so we go, we score the winning goal. And then in the replay, when it's like super hyped, he says, this organization, like the difficulties that that this team has faced in and around this organization. And I was like, no, he said it again. (laughs) Why won't he stop? Yeah, that's pretty good. In the middle of the hype, it like just cut me. I was like, ah. I mean, I like Taylor Twelman in general. He just like has some like quirks about him that are just really driving nuts. Yeah, they're uh, that and the Mastroroni, as he calls Ma- Pablo Mastroeni. Yeah, like his name is pronounced the way it's spelled, like it's Mastroeni. Like, yeah. he adds an extra R in there, and it stresses me out. Anyway, that's that's way too soon. Social hour, guys. We haven't done a social hour in a while because I know. Uh, we kind of skipped right to it. I know yeah. Matt hasn't been a part of one in a while. I guess we did it's one true. with Colin, but um, our post game for Seattle, we didn't have one. We were too hyped. Yeah. But now we've taken a day to chill out and we can talk about the things that are important. And that's what Matt, Trevor, and I have been up to recently. I like it. I like it a lot. Matt, go first. What's going on? Um, so I'm in the middle of trying to plan a trip to Portland. And yep. uh, I won't reveal the reason because that comes later in the episode. I won't just want to make that clear. Um, other I just want to add, I'm doing the same thing. I don't know if it's the same reason, but I'm I'm also planning a trip to Portland. I very much might be doing the same thing too. I'm trying to figure that out, but we really not not to jump the gun too much. But we should it work out, it would be great to go together and uh, record a couple road episodes. Oh, that's a oh, yeah. great idea. Yeah. All right. Kyle's on board. He's coming. This well, is good news. During my, update, I can, <laughs> during my update, I can tell you. Well, anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll get there. 
Yeah. So other than that, um, oh, I made my first rice cooker cake, which is a cake made in a rice cooker. Uh, it's a black sesame Whoa. cake I made. It's uh, had a lot of eggs, actually. It was like six eggs, um, but it's it's quite a large cake. It's like that's too many know, eggs. Um, I mean, it's not too many eggs, but yeah, it was a large cake, though. That sounds like um, a lot of eggs for a cake. So there was a little bit of work in terms of like you know uh, beating the whites for you know. <laughs> Sorry, I of appreciate that chuckle. Yeah, beating <laughs> the, the egg whites. There we go <laughs> for a, a good you know five ten minutes or whatever, however long it. I don't know, you know, and folding stuff in. Um, but other than that, it was very easy, and I just hit the brown rice button, and it sang its little song when I hit cook. So if you have a nice rice cooker, uh, I think you should try making a rice cooker cake. If you don't have a rice a nice rice cooker, um, let me know and let's uh, let's get you set up with one because it's important. Uh, and you can get in my downline. Um, other than that, like I went on vacation, um, but you guys social houred for me. Yeah, we did our best. Uh, overall, was, I'm assuming it was a very successful trip. It was great. I do have to say, though, um, I actually meant to correct you guys uh, much earlier than this. So that chocolate thing I had uh, at in Eureka, California, was uh, it was a fruit pop that was made with cacao pulp, which is Whoa. like the best fruit you've ever had. Um, and what kind of fruit is that again? Chocolate. It's cacao fruit. So it's, you know, the beans are what you make chocolate out of. But the there's an actual the fruit. fruit. Uh, the pulp around the beans is gotcha. amazing. It's kind of, you know, you get like a little bit of mango vibes. Uh, you can buy cacao juice. Uh, it's too sweet, I think, on its own. But in, in like a popsicle format, it's fantastic. So it was that and it was dipped in chocolate. And then the uh, the things around the outside, those were cacao nibs. So... Uh, used all of the bean, I think, is how they like to say that. Nice. Uh, That's cool. Sounds that, awesome. Did I say I'm trying to figure out how to make rosemary salt? So if anyone has advice on that, uh, slack me or wow, tweet at me or whatever. Sounds delicious. My goodness. And that's all I have. That's a good update, Trevor. What's been going on with you, man? Um, As I said, I'm also planning a trip to Portland this weekend. Um, I told my boss, I had a conversation with him today and I was like, there's a chance <laughs> that I may not be able to go to work on Friday yes. this week and next week, just so you know. And he was like, normally, like, we're very much like if you take a sick day or a day off, like it messes up everything because yeah. we got everything very scheduled. And if we miss it, then it pushes everybody back or somebody else has to cover it. And it's it's just a mess generally. Um, so they usually like us to get days off like a month in advance at least so they can plan around it and schedule around it. Um, but anyway, I told them, I was like this Friday and maybe next Friday, I just might not show up. And if I, I told them why I was like, if I have the opportunity to go to these, to go to Portland and to the East coast, potentially in the next two weeks, like I'm not going to miss it. Like I'm going to go and I'm sorry that that puts you in a bad spot. And he was just like, yeah, okay. I get it. Is what you get for nice. being a good employee, a good yeah. little worker bee. Yeah, that's good. Really happy with that. So anyway, I might um, not get in trouble at all for just bailing on my job this week. Um, yeah, besides that, uh, I started playing. My coworker got me into a little bit of like esports. 
Um, cause he's like super into it, like watching it and all that. And it's something that like I've known about, I watched, um, with my brother-in-law, I watched like a league of legends tournament, like a major, uh, a couple months ago, um, and kind of started learning a little bit about it. And like, I know what league of legends is and Dota and a lot of these games that are big in esports. Um, but I started watching uh, a lot of counter-strike global offensive like tournaments and, it's incredible and it looks like a lot of fun. So I started playing Counter-Strike recently and I've never been a PC gamer. (laughs) Like I've always been a console guy and I downloaded it on the computer to give it a shot and I suck. It's very hard (laughs) to learn how to be a PC gamer at 32 years old, but it's a lot of fun and I'm having a blast with it. And um, I was hanging out with my kid this weekend and they saw me playing it. And for some reason they knew exactly what it was, had no clue. Um, but they were like, oh, can we play? And so they got on and started playing Counter-Strike as well. And they're worse than me, which is I'm taking a little bit of comfort in. But it's a fun game. I found a new thing to do to waste my time. That rules. And I'm on board with it. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know much about Counter-Strike. I'm just like uh, tangentially aware of like the uh, Counter-Strike community. Um and yeah, it seems like a pretty intense game. I just don't know if I like the 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 reflexes required for PC gaming. I'm not sure if I've got anymore. So oh yeah, no, um, I definitely don't. I played that kind of PC gaming, I guess. Yeah, I played um, a little bit just to like learn it. You can play it against bots, which are very easy to play against. Mm-hmm. Um, just to get like used to the controls and stuff. And then I went into like online matchmaking, just like casual games, and just got wiped like completely, which I expected, but I did not expect like casual people, like non-competitive games, to be as good as they are. Like it's a very competitive game. The people that play it are very good, even like the worst or like the most casual level of it. Yeah. So. Yep. Yep. We'll see. Hopefully I get good. Nice. But even if I don't, it's a fun game. So whatever. Well, okay. Did either of you guys have good Thanksgivings? Cause that was last week. Was that last week? Yeah. Come on. <laughs> All right. I had a lovely Thanksgiving. I spent nice, time good. with family, uh, Jenny's family. And then I went to the zoo with nice. my sister and her husband and my very cute nephew. Yeah. During this extended, like, uh, like early fall weather we're having where it's like 65 degrees every day. It's great. It's good. <laughs> yeah. Trevor, did you have a good Thanksgiving? Good any, any, any big arguments, big displays of uh, political gesturing, anything like that? Uh, we almost got into it. Me and my brother, me and my brother tend to argue about just most things. We're just that, yeah. like we just argue and it's all in good fun. And it, but one of us will say something that upsets the other. And that happened. He said something about Elon Musk at the table. And I said something about how <laughs> he's a big idiot and I don't like him. And so that yeah. kind of started something. But then my sister, who is good at recognizing when things are about to get out of hand, just like stepped in and helped us change the subject real quick. So nice. <laughs> it wasn't like a real problem, but we were definitely like shouting for like two minutes. And then we <laughs> stopped and started talking about other stuff. So we got really close to a really good argument, but wow, no, okay, nothing, so nothing, uh, nothing out of the ordinary, to be honest. Matt shared uh, uh, Instagram photos of him and his nephew at Hogel Zoo. And my goodness, that is a cute child. Yep. It's, it's a family look too. He looks just like 
every other my two siblings and me when we were you know his age so wow different color hair that's such a cool you know jacket he's wearing too and the ponytail and everything yeah wow how old is he he looks like two one two 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 or three two looks two Wow, that's a freaking cute kid yeah we so i I mean obviously as as we get close thanksgiving there's a lot of talk online about the impending family arguments that are about to ensue and we just had an incredibly chill thanksgiving my way it was delicious my mom is like has just absolutely nailed like gluten-free and dairy-free thanksgiving food so like there was like set of turkey that was you that was like basted with butter or anything like that it was like bacon grease instead or like that type of thing and it was delicious and like dairy-free gluten-free mac and cheese gluten-free stuffing like we're talking like the works and i didn't like mashed potatoes no milk involved no gluten involved and i ate like a absolute king for uh every day since then because i still have leftovers so yeah thank you suzette for being an incredible uh thanksgiving uh chef i suppose um but yeah it was just incredibly chill thanksgiving had a good friendsgiving the day before with some friends uh and then just had like a relaxing weekend of sports and moving in i got my tv mounted finally uh i was i had a whole battle with i've been in multiple battles with fedex i was telling matt this before and I finally was able to chase down a FedEx driver who happened to have my TV mount on Saturday. So got that in in order to, and I got that in time for the the weekend's MLS playoff games, which was good. Um, yeah, so that was great. And then I've just been, oh, I started the, Carly and I started the second season of Succession yesterday, or the third, excuse me, third season. We've been kind of waiting just because I'd, hate waiting week to week and that's just such a good show i like to just be able to watch when i want to watch and just right where they picked up picked up right where they left off um what else yeah it's been about it just doing like new house stuff which is a lot of work like uh about to go build a bed frame after we record this but yeah anyway that's I think that's it. I need nothing really crazy my way. Oh, I, what I was going to mention is like around the Portland thing is that uh, my mom also got COVID recent. Uh, she tested positive on Friday, which is which would mean I would would have been exposed on Thanksgiving potentially because that's the last time I saw her. But the weird thing is that she's the first person I'm aware of that has been that had COVID like a year ago, then was fully vaccinated and then got COVID again. I've heard of, I know people that have gotten COVID twice before they were able to be vaccinated or something like that. But I've never heard of someone getting the triple, like two vac- two COVID spells and a vaccination in between, which is very interesting to me. Um, yeah. How is she holding up? She's, she's good. She was, yeah. she was fine the first time, like just pretty normal, kind of like head cold for her. Um, and that's kind of how it was for my dad as well. So yeah, they're all, um, like everyone around me has had COVID except for Carly and me and you guys. And, uh, that's about it. Um, but yeah, so I was, I was very surprised. So I've been like getting routinely, I got, I've been tested four times, well, twice, four tests since I saw my mom and, uh, still nothing. So assuming that continues to hold up and I don't end up getting COVID, then, uh, 
then Portland could very much be on my horizon, but we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm just angry about how f- expensive the flights are, but driving is all right. Yeah. You can make that work. Unless anyone listening wants to charter a plane to fly these three guys and maybe, maybe some <laughs> other people it's probably wasteful just to be us. But no, it should just be us. That'd be really funny. We charter like a Cessna. This, this holiday season, I'm really looking to do worse things to the environment. Um, so that's that would right. be a great way to start. That's our, yeah, our New Year's uh, resolution is to yeah. be more wasteful. But we've got to start early if we're in the playoffs. That's yeah. right. We really do. This is a good opportunity that we don't want to miss. But yeah, that's uh, that's about it for me socially. What's going on with the, uh, the news, Matt? Take us away. All right. So the first item, uh, going to jump the gun a little here. Uh, Real Salt Lake faces Portland Timbers on Saturday. At one four, four, four thirty, three thirty, some some in the time afternoon. Of the day. Um, away tickets look like they'll be on sale starting. Uh, you're probably listening to this on Tuesday, so tomorrow. But uh, in case you're listening, no, today, if you're listening, on, they're going on sale on Tuesday, November thirtieth. There we go. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, certainly, at least one of us will be retweeting. Uh, something about that and if you don't have the three of us in our very own like twitter list uh then you're probably doing something wrong so actually you're probably doing something right that sounds (laughs) let's be honest there there would not be uh as much soccer talk as you're maybe looking for oh yeah that's that's probably great but i always feel bad when people add me to like soccer related (laughs) i mean to be fair like i've just i've just been less interested in twitter like over the last uh, how many months? I don't know. Yeah. So any like any, I've only used it really to talk about like while game like while RSL games are going, and also about FIFA with some like um, I got roped into like the longest Twitter thread that's ever existed, and I've got like some friends that also play FIFA Ultimate Team. It's beautiful. Um, one's a writer for MLS. Couple work for Sporting Kansas City, or one works in a in Kansas City's like media sphere over there. Um, another guy works for Houston Dynamo. Another guy is like, uh, just a Bolton Wanderers fan and a union fan. (laughs) So, oh, and, oh, uh, and, um, Maxi's in that thread as well. Interestingly. So I was going to say that that thread occasionally pops up on my feed because I follow three of the people in it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So if Maxi replies to you or if Ryan replies to Maxi, like I see it, but other than that. Yeah, Ryan's in there. Yeah, so it'll. It's like we finally moved it to a group DM on Twitter, but like I mainly use it. For, it was straight up like probably two thousand. It's been going for like a year oh, and a half. So long. It's it's, yeah. it's absurd. It was like a bit we were doing, and then it just continued, and then it was like <laughs> annoying to all of us. So, um, yeah, I just haven't been. So maybe if people add me to a soccer thing now, they might be happier. But uh, I mean, for like months there, it's probably uh, it, it was very confusing. Um, yeah, I'm sure. But that's that's kind of how I feel when people add me to like board game lists or follow me that are you know board game yep. people. I'm like, well, I'll I'll talk about board games sometimes, but uh, Twitter is not my like. I'll I'll mostly retweet links of myself, but that's about it. Yep. Oh well. All right. So the next news item uh, was added by our very own Trevor Brady. Whoa. So uh, I'm going to try to read it in the most robotic voice possible. Okay. Um, actually, Trevor, would you read it instead? Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. So it's just a tweet that I saw today um, talking about RSL still is like, I know we've kind of forgotten about it in the middle of a coaching search. 
And one of the people that's been on that list is Luchi Gonzalez, who used to coach FC Dallas until he was fired earlier. Um, but yeah. anyway, there's a tweet from Dynamo Insider. Um, <clears throat> says, Luchi Gonzalez has begun the interviewing process for the Houston Dynamo head coach vacancy. Louis Lucci has recently rejected the United States men's national team U20 coaching opportunity. Uh, his plan is to stay within MLS. So people that aren't getting hired for the RSL job are still looking for jobs elsewhere. And that might affect RSL's coaching search, which may or may not be over right now anyway, but we'll get to that. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely will. Um, and that's all the news. Uh, unless either of you had anything that uh, you think falls well into the news segment. That, I mean, that is, well, there's a lot of stuff that I, around the coaching stuff that may, wait, do we have that on here somewhere? I mean, a little bit. Um, oh, yep. I, okay. Maybe we can talk about it later, but yeah, uh, the coaching situation seems interesting. And I know someone else in our sphere was talking about potential for, um, it may just, I mean, I, I don't think it's a big surprise, but it's likely hinging on new i mean everything's hinging on new ownership and they really might just be looking at a way bigger sphere of people than originally thought or something like that i don't know anyway yeah, yeah it'll it'll be interesting to say the least yeah all right so should we talk uh talk yesterday sunday yeah uh, well, sunday yesterday? yeah yeah sure. isn't that weird all right, we can do it. We can we can talk about yesterday. We, we played Kansas at City. Kansas City, right? Against like, I mean, their their hundred percent preferred starting lineup, right? I mean, they had Alan Polito, yeah, who was maybe sixty sixty five minutes fit, yeah, but is one of their DP strikers. I mean, they had all their designated players playing, I believe. So it's is it is it Shallowy, Kinda, and Polito? Are those their DPs? Oh, I, I don't know. Hang on. That's, wow. That sounds good to me. Let's just say it is. I'll look it up while we're talking. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, they they it was it was a pretty nerve wracking game going into that. I mean, like the stadium was packed. It was loud. Um, it's the blue hell or whatever. Um, yeah. So Kinda designated player, Polito designated player. Oh, it's Johnny Russell, not oh, Johnny Russell. Yeah. Jalloway's a homegrown player. Um, I think he's like one of those he's technically the, uh, homegrown. Like I they thought he brought was, him in uh, from some Hungarian thing he's, when he was like he's 16. Really good. Yeah. He's really good. So I expected him to maybe be a designated a designated player, but I don't know. Johnny Russell also played. Or maybe he he did score a penalty kick, but I don't know what he did other than that. So yeah, <laughs> RSL. <clears throat> nope, RSL played, and we went out there with the exact same lineup we play. We started against uh, Seattle with um, ESPN had it like on their graphic had it kind of as a four four two like bucket, um, which I don't know. I guess it's it's pretty much. So, so I assume they had Krylik up top alongside <laughs> Rubin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that maybe last match <laughs> with both of them dropping deep, but I think Krylik actually spent a lot more time in that ten spot this yeah. match. But I'm going to look at the heat map and uh, make a judgment. That sounds good. Yeah. Anyway, so we were shaped up to, I mean, play like we did against them uh, in the last game of the season. 
in theory, play against them the same way we played against Seattle. But we, I mean, we played way more attacking-minded. We possessed the ball far more than we did in the previous two games that we played. Um, And I felt had like a very strong control over the game until uh, something bad happened. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed the way RSL came out in that game and felt, felt like really dangerous and completely unfazed by the crowd and by the moment, quite honestly, which was very uh, pleasant to see, I guess. Yeah, let's let's talk about that bad moment. Yeah. So right before the bad moment I was referencing was RSL giving a penalty. So right before that, Rubio Rubin um, ended up getting the ball in in the Sporting Kansas City penalty area uh, after a really nice spell of play from Joni Menendez, uh, Michael Chang, who could have taken a shot on goal, but played Rubio Rubin into a really dangerous position. Rubin gets bumped in the back. and he falls and he doesn't get a call. And of course, RSL fans are really mad about it, but I am getting really tired of Rubio Rubin just going down so easily. It's like really starting to annoy me. And uh, I'm seeing the document change in front of me. I was just just resizing the large text that Trevor put in there. Told you you'd have to fix the format. Sorry. Yeah, that was pretty good. But anyway, yeah. So um, Rubio Rubin goes down and he's been doing this a lot where he's been doing the Demir Krylock thing where like (laughs) he's it's like back to goal somewhere on the field, back to goal. Ball comes to him. And like the second there's any type of contact behind him, it's like a it's a fall forward, jump forward and fall or just like kind of crumple. And I'm not a big crumpling guy. And so I'd like to see less crumpling from our uh, attacking players and uh, especially Rubio Rubin, who has not scored in like 12 games, needs to like take control of a situation in front of goal and score because we know he's like he's a strong player. Like, look at him. He's physically like he's built like he's a buff dude. He's a specimen, as it were. He is. And like he's freakishly athletic. He just like needs to stop being he just stop trying to put it in the hands of the referee, like take control of the game and control what you can. And you will earn penalties if you deserve a penalty in most cases. And he did not deserve a penalty there. So then right after that, the ball goes down to the other side of the field. Um, Justin, like they have a throw in like pretty far down on their left attacking side. Justin glad has a really poor overall, really good game, had a really poor headed clearance here goes right to Kinda who was Sporting Kansas City's most dangerous player the entire game for sure. Um, just immediately bolts into the box, gets by Aaron Herrera, who uh, makes a very lunging attempt at the ball, <clears throat> very unwisely, too slow, just knocks legs, easy penalty call. And Johnny Russell did the one thing he did all game and uh, bury a penalty, which the other thing that kind of bugged me about the, the penalty is that Taylor Twolman was saying that Johnny Johnny Russell has like taken every single penalty in his life to the keeper's left or something like that. Um, I think just to play it safe, you just also go left there. But Ochoa guessed the wrong way. Um, but if it were me, I would have told Ochoa to go left. But I'm curious what you... I mean, the, the mentality and the psychology that goes into penalties is very interesting to me. But I was just kind of surprised to see Ochoa not go the way that Johnny Russell has gone like a million times, but I don't know. What do you think, Trevor? I feel like you've got words. 
Um, no, I just, I feel like at this point, this is the part of the season where like you should definitely be researching and like as a goalkeeper, you should know players' tendencies um, or at least somebody on the team should. And if that <clears throat> means just before penalties, you get handed a piece of paper that you stick in your sock and you look at before yeah. who's come. You know what I mean? Like we've seen goalkeepers do that. Um, but somebody like Johnny Russell, who is the team's penalty kick taker, I feel like as part of the preparation for the match, you should probably know who's their number one, number two penalty kick taker and their tendencies. And if it's somebody like Johnny Russell, who has taken, I think Taylor said like 10 penalties or something like that as a professional, and they've all gone the same direction. Like you should know that. If it's somebody that has taken like 20 and they kind of put them all over the place and they don't really have a set tendency, then like, okay, sure. Like, I don't know where Albert goes. Like, like Albert's not very consistent on where he goes on his penalties. But if, if somebody like Taylor Twelman, who no disrespect to him, because he does do his preparation and he does know things like that. um, And he does research those things. But if a commentator knows that you as a player should know that as well. Yeah. And and, and if I, and it, and I, I like, this is kind of just Nick nitpicky, but these things do make a difference, right? Like I, I would have just expected, like in that situation, I would I would would have wanted Ochoa to go left, and and if and if in that moment Johnny Russell had switched it and gone to the keeper's right, and I've been like, wow, wow, Johnny, the one time Johnny Russell switched it up, he goes to the keeper's right, like that's that's not on Ochoa, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But like he guessed the, it was just a weird thing I noticed, I, and it was weird to hear Taylor talk about how Johnny Russell has gone to the keeper's left, like every in, single time he's ever taken a penalty. Left. Here, sorry, to the keeper's left. Yeah, in he's gone there. He just he doesn't not go there, and then to watch a Choa go right, I was like, dude, like, ah, come on. No, but then there's the other part of it that's like, I don't know what's going through Ochoa's head. I don't I know. know what's going through Johnny Russell's head, and they obviously know way more about this than i do so maybe ochoa has a read you know like nick romando has his trick his read on players and maybe ochoa's got a similar thing where he's got a read on players as they come up and maybe his his read was he's gonna go right and if that's what it was like i don't want to second guess a goalkeeper saving a penalty but i do feel like in that situation you should just know and you should have the decision made before the the play even comes to yeah it it also comes on the back of Ochoa guessing the wrong way on a lot of penalties just last game so I was just like oh man I didn't I wasn't very confident on his ability saving a penalty there but so I just rewatched this one and I have two thoughts first I do think it was a savable penalty like it's it's taken if hard. He'd gone, if he'd gone the right way. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. taken hard, but that's the only real, like, positive attribute. It, it's placed, like, right at a savable level. It's not high. It's not into the corner. Uh, it's, I mean, sure, you want to send the keeper the wrong way. I don't think he sent the keeper the wrong way, but... Yeah, uh, he, just kind of... It looked like he just kind of guessed wrong, but... Yeah, and that, that happens. Um, but the other thing I noticed, and I'd forgotten this somehow, is that Right before the penalty, uh, David Ochoa, uh, the best I can say is like maybe he watched The Matrix before the movie <laughs> and he did the little Neo like bring it on sort of yeah. hand motion. Yeah. I, I, hopefully that puts the image in your head of uh, what David Ochoa was trying to do. Uh, or sorry, it was Morpheus doing that. I Yeah, yeah that, it's Morpheus. Yeah, he does the hand 
bring it on thing yeah. for sure. 14 year old yeah. me is very embarrassed right now. It's all right. It's fine. Uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty funny <laughs> and weird. Yeah. <laughs> but, and, yeah. and to not save it, like I think Ochoa had a, had a pretty good game, although yeah. uh, notably Kansas city took five shots. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's like, I mean, that's the rest of the game. So like, so after this, RSL kind of loses a bit of control of the game, unfortunately. And uh, Sporting Kansas City was put like, it, it was a very different game after a Sporting scored. Um, they seemed to be a lot more confident in attack. Uh, they didn't generate like any insane chances. They had a, a, another one at some point where they had a free kick that Ochoa um, kind of bobbled and almost lost in front of an attacker, but um, was able to get in front of it. Um, he kind of does that a lot, but whatever. Um, and Ochoa makes it just set pieces. Ochoa makes me nervous on like corners, especially I, I just, if you watch corners, he, he stays very, like he often is very just tight, like heels on his line. And that's, it's a pretty scary place to be when all it takes is just like a header either direction. But, um, anyway, overall i thought Ochoa had a good game and he didn't have any nervy moments of like with the ball on his feet either like he didn't do like he didn't kind of panic and just clear it out of bounds right to his side for a throw in like he did against seattle um he had a better game with the ball at his feet for sure so rsl kind of struggled for a, a little bit but then finally i think towards the end of the half um really kind of get things a bit more under control and the the second half started kind of as this as it ended just rsl a little thing things going their way a little bit more um but the game really didn't change until uh subs were made and that's when anderson julio and justin miram came into the game for chang and menendez is that right yeah and we're, we're talking like yeah. 59th minute yeah pretty early second minute. half Oof. 57 yeah, is that what you said 57th minute so very yeah, early for it. pablo it was early for Pablo, but it was also, um, I mean, everyone noted it as soon as the change was made, like before he was even subbed in, like, uh, the game was on ABC or ESPN or whatever. ABC, and John yeah. Champ- yeah. John Champion and Taylor Twelman were talking. I mean, they specifically profiled Anderson Julio as being a very dangerous player off the bench. Um, his knack for scoring late goals, RSL in general, their knack for scoring late goals, um, which was kind of inflated because of that San Jose game. But, I digress. Uh, yeah, said, I mean, Julio was going to be dangerous and he came in and just was torching uh, Kansas City's left back like over and over and over. I don't know who their left back is, but he was playing like an entirely different game than what Menendez and Chang had been playing. He was playing very frequently. I mean, he was doing a lot of defensive work, but he was also like getting in behind the lines. He was he was like playing as a striker that was also coming back on defense um and he was just so quick <laughs> and difficult to guard and then um pretty soon after i can't remember what minute it was he scored 70 something right 72nd yep 72nd minute um there's a bit of a recycled ball that comes back to andrew brody who plays a really nice cross into anderson julio who had made this like really nice diagonal run like behind demir krylock who had pulled I think it was Krylock, Krylock or Rubin, who had pulled defenders his way, and he runs in behind our our first man forward, Krylock or Rubin, can't remember, um, and like just a perfect cross onto his head, scores a goal, um, and then just like so ties it up. Things are looking great. Sporting Kansas City still feeling, looking and feeling overwhelmed by the pressure. Anderson Julio almost scores a banger inside the box like five minutes later on the volley. It was just. 
it really felt like RSL was going to get another like pretty quickly. Um, lots of really close chances where like Demir Krylock had um, one that he kind of normally scores. You think that he scores where he gets the ball uh, within like the around the six yard box and Melia makes a, a decent save, bobbles it. Anderson Julio almost gets it. Um, there were just so many little things like that. And then, I mean, shout out to also, I, I mentioned when he came in, but Justin Miram was was very good. <laughs> Speaking of of trying too hard, Trevor, I, I, yeah. uh, that tweet made me laugh. But like, <laughs> we had players out there who were kind of trying too hard, and Miram is one of those. But like, as a sub, sometimes Miram can just be like exactly what we need. Yeah. Um, and he, and and he, he came was, in, right? Like, yeah. And he came in and he was exactly what we needed. So the pressure just continued to be on and Sporting Kansas City really didn't have many chances going forward in the second half. Like I I wasn't worried about them scoring almost at all. Like there were a couple moments where uh, they were let down by uh, Shallowy didn't really have a great game. Oh, and very notably, like Peter Vermees. Uh, very upset on the sideline. Like, and I'm not sure what he was so upset about. It was beautiful. Like, Just like it was, uh, cape. It, it was a couple of, I mean, it's very Peter Vermees stuff, but there was a couple of like kind yeah. of ticky tack foul calls that he wanted to go his way because they had been like called throughout most of the game. But it was just ticky tack stuff that didn't go his way. And then the infamous moment where he was like standing there with his hand on his hip and just like yeah. in disbelief. I think that was because uh, Aaron Herrera did not get a second yellow for completely missing Roger Espinoza on the sideline, um, <laughs> but still getting the foul called on him. Peter Vermes really wanted him to get a second yellow there. He didn't have a first yellow, so. I thought he did. I thought, no. am I an idiot? No, it was Everton that got the yellow. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So, so at, at some point, Everton gets a yellow, which was a, a, a yellow of a suspension accumulation. So he's going to be out for next game, which is unfortunate. But yep. um, yeah, Everton, I mean, he deserved his yellow. He broke up a play by just pulling the defender back. Yeah. Like that's, a, that's a yellow. Uh, yep. It should always be a yellow. So and probably the right sacrifice to make, right? Like at, in that moment, that I moment? think yeah. it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't a bad uh, I mean, in hindsight, like Sporting Kansas City was incredibly unlethal, so maybe it wouldn't have amounted to anything. But just like with the attacking prowess that they supposedly do have on that roster, yeah, that was like the right move. Um, which just kind of sucks that he's in the position, and it sucks that like just rules around yellow cards and playoffs like this are just stupid, in my opinion. Oh, like, um, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Herrera got a yellow in the game before, right? So yeah. a, a yellow in this game would have been a suspension yeah, for Herrera. Also for Herrera. Yeah. Oh, that would have sucked. Yeah. And I think um, Herrera had had like six or seven fouls called on him that game so far, plus the penalty. So there was a point where everybody on SKC, Peter Vermees included, like anytime Herrera did anything wrong, they wanted a foul and they wanted it to be a yellow card. Yeah. I'll so, tell you how many fouls he had. Four fouls with uh, no accumulation. So that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Pablo Ruiz with four, no accumulation. Everton Luis with three. Just yeah. For whatever it's worth. So I want to wheel us back slightly. Sure. Um, back to that goal because uh I think it's it's actually really interesting for me. Um, and that if you go to it's like the seven seventy-one forty-five mark or so, you can actually see Pablo Ruiz with nobody in the midfield uh like paying attention to him. And that was so like very strange for me um, because Kansas city has been billed as a, like a defensively organized smart team. Uh, but they let 
Pullery's uh, just outside the center circle in the attacking half. Uh, swing a good cross in for, I believe it's Bobby Wood. So Bobby Wood had just come in for Rubia Rubin. Oh, that's right. Like seconds um, before this. Um, but then af- immediately after that, uh, with the header, like Graham Zussi is really out of position here, which mm-hmm. n- not surprising in this game. Um, yeah. I think Graham Zussi may have had one of the worst games of his career in a like a big game sense. Yeah. yeah. Outside of like some U.S. games, of course, but. That's neither here nor there. No, I mean, and he's old, right? Like they were relying. It, it was, it was, uh, like their 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 right back Graham Zusi, and then their left back Luis Martins. Mm-hmm. Just, I honestly like had a shocker uh, once Julio came in. Like he was just getting beat over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And once Kinda was out, who came out in the so he came out in the seventy first minute, and we scored the seventy second. Yeah. I've yeah, it was that fast, and I've rewatched the second half twice now. Yeah, so Kinda he either came out as we scored, or right before, or it was like the same minute we scored. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm honestly can't tell. Yeah. Um. So, like, once he was out, like either midfield even more was completely non-existent. So like they were like ostensibly playing a four, three, three, like Johnny Russell was like nowhere to be found. Shallowy was kind of just on an Island. Polito wasn't looking very good. And Kinda, like a lot of the sporting Kansas city fans are wondering why the only guy who was notable in the midfield came off. Like, do you guys remember seeing Walter or Sanchez in the midfield at all yesterday? Like I, I do. I, I don't even remember them making like much of an impact at all. Yeah. I didn't think they were super impactful. I, I remember Walter really well. <laughs> Because every time Taylor Twelman said Vol- he said it uh, Voltaire. Voltaire. Oh yeah, yep. Voltaire. And that's right. It just reminded me of you know the the is he a French philosopher Voltaire. <laughs> Voltaire. Um, yeah. So yeah. I always noticed when he was around because I kept making that joke to myself, which is not. Yeah. I mean, but kind of weird. That's um, and then good. Sanchez, I thought broke up a couple good plays, uh, but but not a lot. Like the only one that was dangerous moving forward, I thought was I mean and the rest of their fans thought was Kinda. And like when he came out, which was pretty early. Um, and then with like around the same time as Polito, like it really even more set them just completely kind of toothless in the midfield. And it was kind of, it really just felt like a matter of time. Um, and also like, this has been a criticism of Peter Vermees that their fans have had. And just in general that he runs teams into the ground that they start off, the season really well. The middle of the season is really good. And they often are in the the top third of the Western conference every year. Um, but they just somehow always manage to collapse either in the first or second round of the playoffs because they just seem to burn out. And like, well, for a team to be that seemingly that burned out and looking that unmotivated and that unlethal the entire game, despite having that crowd behind them, loud the entire game like literally singing the entire game and in that in that moment and in that atmosphere was just like it was pretty shocking to see but i don't know maybe we're just that good (laughs) yeah i mean hopefully that'd be great so one interesting thing uh for me from this game was that they put alan polito in at the start yeah Um, instead of as a sub it's it was the first time he'd started since and they said this over and over in the game was first time since september 11th yeah. Uh, not 2001, obviously. Um, <laughs> a different September 11th. Yeah, a different one. Uh, but the one same, this year, probably. Same day of the year. Yes, this one. Yeah, okay. This year. Um, 
And we saw a similar thing in Seattle where, you know, they they're working players back from injury with the express intent of playing them in the playoffs. And it just it, it's a very interesting thing for me because it it didn't work for either of them. Uh, yeah. Polito was kind of toothless. Uh, he had one shot on target. I don't remember it being anything worth no. even mentioning. Uh, it, with Lodero uh, for Seattle, he was toothless. Like it's it's very interesting. Yeah. So and and it was Kyrie Shelton who replaced Alan Polito, and it was Espinosa who replaced Kinda. And yeah, so the the order of events there was Kinda came out for Espinosa in seventy first, seventy second Rubio comes out for Bobby Wood and we score immediately after that. But um, I, I was thinking about that thing about Polito and I, the only only explanation I could really come up with, because um, Kyrie Shelton has been their starter in that position for a while. And the, like the only thing I can really come up with is that like when you're facing the potential, like in a playoff game and you're, and you're facing the potential of it going to extra time, like it, it complicates when you use Polito as a sub, right? Because um, if you sub him in at the 60th minute, and he might be only 50 minutes match fit, there's a potential of him having to go to 120. And you don't really ever want to have to sub out a sub. So I was thinking about like what you do. Like you want him in there because like he's a designated player. He's a really good striker on paper. And uh, you put like you have Kyrie Shelton in there. Like at what point do you take him out thinking that maybe he still has to go another like 60 minutes or whatever um, after we we take out Shelton? But because like I, I know sporting Kansas City fans wanted Shelton to start instead of Polito. Like I think they're pretty low on Polito at the moment. But it, it it was a bold move starting him for the first time in uh like nearly th- or two and a half months or whatever. Like that's uh it's hard to get into the flow of the game when you haven't really played as a starter uh in that long. But well that and like coming into the playoffs, like playoffs it's a different atmosphere. You know, what I mean? sure. it's, it's a different atmosphere, it's a different game type there's way more on the line if you come in coming in after a long break and just starting a game after uh, a long injury layoff in the regular season like that's a much different kind of zero to 100 than it is to start as a playoff game like that's a real life zero to 100 like immediately um and if you're relying on that player to do that i mean i haven't dug that deep into my brain but i can't remember a time when somebody hadn't started a game for months started in as a playoff game and then like had a great performance like it's yeah. pretty it's usually you get like what you saw out of jordan morris who has a couple of good moments but on the whole to that player's standard very subpar you know what i mean yep and i think that's exactly what we saw in Polito. agreed yeah all right, should we keep going with this match? I, we've got one more yeah. big moment. Yeah, so I like things just continued uh, and um, was fully prepping myself for extra time that I was pretty confident in, quite honestly. Um, we were looking like the far better side uh, through the second half, especially the once Julio and Miram came in. I was like, all right, it's only a matter of time till Julio scores again because he was looking just super hot out there. But um, yeah, there was this, I mean, it's night. It's the 91st minute stoppage time had just started. Uh, Silva wins a ball in defense, which if I remember correctly, this is just going from the hundred times I watched the highlights because they're so fun to watch. Um, so I think it's Silva wins a ball. 
uh, right as John Champion's talking about how Real Salt Lake is like the kings of the late goal or whatever he says. And then yeah. um, Miram just goes on like a very, very, like one of my, f- the best runs I've ever seen from Justin Miram. Uh, goal or not, quite honestly, like just very direct. Uh, he didn't waste time like he sometimes does and try to draw on defenders in order to beat them. He just was like, I'm using speed to get down the left side of the field and I'm just like beating these defenders. He has this like slight hesitation moment where he like, is able to get the ball and create a little bit of extra space, which allows him to play the cross in or just a a horizontal or slightly diagonal ball. And Bobby Wood just puts the, like just this perfect finish on this ball. Like, I don't even know that's a, it it was an incredibly difficult finish from what it looked like, but it was like, he let it go just ever so slightly across his body. And then just like outside of the foot to the far post. And it was just, just perfectly spot on and perfectly timed. Yeah. Incredible and, finish uh, from a player that uh, I think if you'd said, you know, say in September, October, like has Bobby Wood been a success this season? The answer would be like a, a unified no. Yeah. Even like last game against Seattle, I like when he came in, he didn't look good. He did, had bad touches on the ball. He just like wasn't very involved um, in this game. He was probably, he was a little bit more involved. I didn't think he like had any moments. He wasn't, we weren't getting our strikers incredibly involved in the game. I thought that was kind of a problem with Ruby Rubin in the, like while he played as well. Um, in even the moments that he had opportunities though, he was letting us down and I know we're all like, well, it can't be worse than that. Putting Bobby Wood in and into this game because Rubio just really didn't have a good one, but yeah, I'm really thankful it was Bobby Wood in front of goal right there because like that was a seasoned strikers finish. Um, and you have to be able to have someone like that. That's like, can be bad for X many minutes, not get a good touch on the ball. But when like it comes to a moment like that can just be lethal. And he was, and, um, definitely just, just what a moment. And then it was just really just seeing the, it was only two minutes of stoppage time added. Um, we just had to see a couple more minutes out and we did and (laughs) spectacularly won that game. And then, yeah, I just can't, I still honestly can't believe that happened because I just, everything going into these two games, no Albert, uh, the fashion in which we beat Seattle and then to just really take it to sporting Kansas city. I mean, not that I, I, I honestly don't care what people think about real salt Lake on the outside, especially like, um, I thought, I thought it was great that we beat Seattle in the way we did, but to, to follow up the Seattle game with playing how we did at Kansas city was just really like, we're capable of, of playing, like we're, we're capable of playing the way we need to play in order to win. And it, it's against Seattle. It was like this against Kansas city. It was like this. And we took it to them and we beat them on their, on, on their turf. And I thought that was really impressive, quite honestly. And I didn't think, I, I think that was a good, like, just demonstration of what this team can be and it's not you don't have to bunker for 120 minutes in order to win but like sometimes that's just a smart move and you do that and then you win in penalties and then you're in this situation and you don't have to do that again and then you win the way that most people would deem preferable but yeah one of the big things for me sorry trevor is uh i think the the influence of demir krylik is an interesting one for me uh on paper he didn't do 
anything like truly of note with you know from a statistical perspective um but but watching both goals demir krylik is occupying a defender better than probably any real salt like player can yeah and that's that's i think like the value of playing him deeper and uh especially as we get to talking about the next match i that's something I'm, I'm very curious about is how do we how do we manage our lineup in a way that supports that um, and and doesn't cut it off? I don't know. That's the thing I'm most curious about. Trevor, go. I just wanted to piggyback off of uh, what Kyle was saying. Uh, Charles, and I might pronounce his last name incorrectly, Bohem? Boom. Bomb. Boom. Bomb. Boom. 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 Okay. Charlie Boom. Uh, yeah. Uh, he's an East Coast writer, um, doesn't talk about RSL that much, but when he does, he's usually exactly right. Um, but uh, he found, or somebody found an old Pablo Mastroeni, uh post-game interview uh, from when he was coaching the Rapids, like back in 2017. And it was just one of the, it was from, I don't remember the game and it doesn't matter, but it was one of those games where like they were against a obviously superior opponent and they played really well and they, they beat him. And he just had a quote. Um, in that conference where he said something along the lines of like heart is going to heart and like spirit is going to be um, better than stats like any day of the week, um, which honestly I think is a little bit of a silly thing to say and to believe, but it's borne itself out in this team. Uh, the last couple of games, um, especially I, I think that's really what's, driving this team is just simply that like they just want it more and i hate boiling games down to that but that's the value that pablo brings i mean it's infuriating to see us succeed in the way that we've succeeded against the teams that we succeeded with seattle and sporting playing the way that we did and it seems like we haven't played a three-man back line in the playoffs we played the entire last half of the season with a three-man back line and we got smoked and torched a lot. And now Pablo has switched to this four-man back line. And all of a sudden we're able to do all of the things that make this team a good team. And on top of that, there's just so much belief in the club and in the locker room and, and everything um, that I think it's undeniable that like that plays a part of it. But at the same time, like we could have been playing this way for most of the last half of the season. And we yeah. haven't until now. And like, that's, infuriating but also i don't know it it speaks to the character of this team especially playing the last two games without arguably our best player um against two of the strongest teams in the western conference that's the part of this whole thing that's just really really been impressive to me is yeah just how much this team has faced adversity and come through it yeah and like they talked about his his post game speech against seattle or was that was that was that, that pre, was i don't know game, what, yeah yeah of a very uh vulgarity ridden video but it had been edited out edited out so it was like listening to a very vulgar song on the radio but uh you, you can get the gist of what he was saying but like they talked about it during the game telling people to go watch it just because it's uh i mean yeah like that is the value of pablo because like he, you can see why people want to, you know, for lack of a better term or phrase, like run through a brick wall for him is because like he's got this relationship with the players that like you really just can't, um, you can't deny at all. And so, 
yeah, I've been very like I was very, very pleased to see how we lined up for uh, specifically this game, like our entire approach to this game, the timing of the subs, like when he got Julio in, I mean, everything about that was just like perfectly timed uh, 57th minute. Like we know we need, um, I mean, he was going for two goals in the rest of the second half at that point. Like you're going, you're going for the win, subbing out your two, um, two attacking players to put in Miriam and Julio like that. Like that was, I, I love to see that. And just everything we, our whole approach to that game was just perfect. We didn't need to bunker more than we need to, than we needed to. And just seeing uh, just top to bottom, start to finish of that game, just we looked fully comfortable and in control um, aside from like a few minutes around in and in and around the PK <laughs> moment. Um it just, yeah, it was great. I, I love to see it. So, like, there is, of course, the value that that Pablo provides. But, yeah, it is so fascinating to see how much better we are defensive. Like, it, I mean, we are a great defensive team right now. Like, we legitimately are. Like, I, there's no other way to, stay, to say it. And for the second half of this season, we looked like an atro- atrocious def- team defensively. Like, there was two words I don't to even, answer that for you. <laughs> the first yeah. is Eric and the second is Holt. I, yeah, exactly. So there, uh, it, it's it's so fascinating to see the two identities of this team or whatever. But like, yeah, it's pretty mind blowing to see. We 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 were just really like every like our player ratings for this game. Like I'm every site you check, the, our best rated players are our defensive line and Ruiz and Everton. Like. Herrera with the uh, Herrera, despite giving out that penalty, like Font Mobs giving him an 8.0, Glad 7.7, Silva 7.5, Brody, despite some of his giveaways, 8.0. Yeah, that, he, that I mean, assist. He had, he had that assist. Well, yeah, right. I mean, you got the assist. Right. But I mean, like, <laughs> that's the type of like game that we're playing. And B- Brody being that far forward is not risky at all because we have Silva, Glad, Herrera, and Everton most likely covering for that position where. Whereas three weeks ago or four weeks ago or whatever, we had Glad and or Eric Holt maybe playing like covering when our winger backs, whatever, were that far forward. So I'm just really pleased to see how we've held up defensively because, I mean, Silva had, uh, again, we, we <laughs> they're like when we talked about the the defensive liability of the 352 or whatever we talked about how 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 those giveaways can be so punishing but with the giveaways and, we, and of course our players are still making giveaways like that's still happening because this is soccer it's is mls and players make individual mistakes but it's like when we make a mistake like that we're no longer it's no longer like an immediate goal scoring chance for the opposition like it was like there's yeah, Portland's it, not going to score six goals on the on the, the way this team is is lined up this weekend. Like that's not going to happen. Um, really emphasizes that it's not like an individual mistake thing. It's again that that team mistake. It, it couldn't be more clear. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I don't know how you can just like it's night and day defensively, and I and I am so much more appreciative of, of that, especially in the playoffs. Like, sure, like it, the three five two had its moments of fun in the season. But like we're in the playoffs now, and I'm very, very, very happy to see us like go with a shape that we're like really emphasizes our strengths defensively. Um, even when we have a very one-footed le- uh, Andrew Brody at left back, um, and that foot is not his left foot. But um, 
I thought yeah, only left-footed players could fl- play on the left side, but uh, apparently not. Actually, there's an entire school of thought that says that it's better to not have a left-footed left back it or right-footed, right-footed right back, inverted yeah. backs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, man. I I, I see. I don't it. think I agree, but people say, people are talking. Yeah. I mean, that's why. <laughs> Messi plays right wing sometimes, you know, even though he's left footed. I mean, he's truly two footed, right? I mean, okay, here's another example. David Neres on Ajax, uh, he plays right wing, left footed. Uh, yeah. Let's see. I don't What foot does Joni Menendez use? I have no idea. I don't know. <laughs> I'm really bad at know. knowing what foot players use, honestly. Yeah, I could see. I'm trying to think of who else. Who else is a famous right wing that's a left? Aryan Robin, right wing, very, 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 very one footed. Okay, there's another. Right, we're just going to think, guys. This is the rest of the episode. We just brainstorm. Yeah, no Googling, <laughs> just brainstorming. All right, who's so, the, who's the short uh, Swiss player? Uh, is it uh, Shakiri? Oh, Shakiri yeah. often played on the right as well. Yeah. All right. Okay. So instead of that, uh, how about this question? Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, one, uh, do we need to ask if Pablo Mastroini should be okay, our coach? Sorry. How did I think about, I forgot about Salah. <laughs> like, I can't believe I, like literally like the, probably the best example right now. Oh, sorry. Okay. Sorry. Okay, <laughs> do we need to ask ever, ever, after every win, if, uh, Pablo Mastroini should be RSL's permanent head coach? No. Uh, well, going forward, going, let, let's say playoffs yeah, forward. We never did. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> We never did, and we never should. But Trevor, continue. I, I just think, like at this point, I was trying to think. Like we talked about this at the end of the season. Like, should Pablo be hired? And I think at some point we were like, well, what if he wins two or three games in the playoffs? And yeah. our whole line of thinking was, that's not going to happen. So it's a pointless discussion. But <laughs> really, if he does, like maybe. But. I'm trying to think of any time any interim head coach has ever gone into the playoffs and succeeded and not immediately been hired. I honestly think like at this point, whether you want it or not, whether it makes sense or not, based on the last half of the season, the last five or six games, I don't think there's any way that you don't hire Pablo at this point. You know what I mean? Like, especially with like all the emotions that we've had from the final game of the season to the final minutes of Seattle, to the final minutes of the the Kansas city game, like all the emotions that the fans have gone through. I don't know how you get to that. And if we lose against Portland, I don't know how you come out and then say, no, we can't hire Pablo. I think that's probably still think that it's probably not the best idea to hire Pablo. But at this point, like if this was his tryout, if this was his interview process, he's kind of nailed it up to this point for sure for the playoffs. I still think he's not a good regular season coach, but at the end of the day, if he can do this in the playoffs, if this can be a consistent, good playoff coach, and he's a coach that can just get you into the playoffs during the regular season, it makes sense to hire him at this point. Yeah. Like the reason why I say it's we don't need to ask the question every time is because like I like playing. Obviously, we do this. So we all like playing like armchair 
man, manager, uh, armchair FO, I guess armchair <laughs> yeah. front office is what we do here. I mean, like I, and I, I think it's fun to do that. And obviously we all do. Yeah. It's fun to speculate, but I, the reason why I, I don't think it's worth asking every time is because like, we don't know what the new ownership's goals and aspirations are quite honestly for this club. And they might come in and I'm telling you, like, I mean, when you have a new ownership group or coming in that could potentially be made up of some local influence, but the majority of the money almost certainly is going to be part of this like global soccer football ownership group, which is it's looking to be like that's buying clubs in a lot of different leagues in Europe, in South America, uh, they could very much with the with the amount of money that they have and their mindset like the way that private equity people's brains work is that they come in and they might want their guy in there and they might say not enough experience doesn't matter like <laughs> we love what you did but we're hot. we're like we're bringing in somebody with we're like we're going to pay a ton of money to some other coach or something like that and we might get some like Frank DeBoer type of person who might end up sucking, but that's like what I could very well see happening is like, they could just say like, it doesn't matter. And it, yeah. and it honestly might not to them. And it probably like, I have such a negative opinion of private equity in general that like, there's such disruptors in the way that they view the, the entities that they acquire that they honestly really might not care about the success that Pablo had or the story. I, yeah. I honestly don't know. They might, they might pay lip service towards certain things. And I, and I don't, and I could see Pablo sticking around as an assistant, but I could very easily see them uh, just being like, Nope, like it doesn't matter. <laughs> and they might've already made their mind up on this topic weeks ago or months ago, uh, having planning on buying the club like that. This already might've already happened. It might already be in stone regardless of the outcome. If Pablo wins MLS cup, would be just an extraordinary story. Like one of the best stories of American or just American sports history, in my opinion, uh, with the, the roller coaster of a couple of years, this club has had. So even then, like I could see them just being like, eh, whatever. But I like, like you're saying, Trevor, I agree. Like, I mean, I, if they give him the, the head coaching job based on what's happened the last few months, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't, I'd be, uh, it still might be the wrong choice. Like you said, I'd be, I could get behind it just because I, the brick wall thing, uh, they could, like, I can see how the players get up for him in a way that they don't, haven't got up for anyone else. Uh, pet key, Freddie, whatever. Like there's just something different about the way that Pablo interacts with the players and he might have a lot of limitations that might make him the wrong hire long-term. And that very well might be the case. But I don't know. <laughs> he's, he's a he's a he's a heartwarming hire at the moment. Yeah, that's for damn sure. Unless he gets like completely run off the field in Portland somehow. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, at, at this yeah. point, it doesn't seem likely, right? Which is weird to say because uh, we all we all predicted doom at the beginning of this playoff run. For sure, well, we're still like ninety ten that he puts out the four men back line. But if he like that 10% <laughs> if he puts out the three men back line. Yeah. Yeah. And and this That'd for me so is <laughs> So this is why I tend toward like like we we can't judge Pablo on the basis of of one or two or even four games, right? Say we make MLS Cup, we win the cup. Like 
that's a it, it's still a, a really small body of evidence and there's so many like conditional things that go into that and that doesn't mean like i don't think he should be hired if even if we win uh because i, I certainly yeah. don't want to claim that um and he, he's corrected some of the mistakes that i i thought were extremely glaring yeah uh, during the regular season um but he, he still has a body of work that we should consider uh, and maybe he's grown as a coach and maybe that's what we're seeing. But what we saw during the regular season uh, was not a coach that had grown. Uh, it's a <laughs> no. coach that, that had won his players over. And maybe yeah. that's all you need in MLS is like to, to hit the button at the right time. Uh, MLS is weird though. Like, well, and that's, yeah, that's know. kind of been the story of MLS. That's kind of been the, the worst kept secret in the league is, it doesn't matter how well you do in the season as long as you get to the playoffs and as long as you get hot at the right time, any team can win the cup. Once you're in the playoffs, I mean, that's us in 2009. That's several teams yeah. since then to just get to the playoffs and just get hot end the season on a couple of good results, get good results in the playoffs and you're four games away from a trophy for yeah. or in the past five or six games maybe. But so I would kind of disagree with you on, on that where like four games by itself. Yeah. It's not enough to judge a coach by, but if those four games are playoff games and they end in a trophy, that's important. And that does carry a lot of weight. Yeah. I think I don't, I don't disagree certainly. Um, but I think it's, it's telling that the highest seed outside of RSL left in the playoffs is Portland at four. Uh, I'll, we'll see of course uh, with new England and New York city, uh, five thirty PM on Tuesday. Uh, what, what happens there? But, but again, New York city is a four, uh, and in all, but the Colorado match with Portland and our matches, uh, the home team has won. And, yeah. and it really does lend credence to the idea that the regular season matters in a single elimination sense. Sure. But, uh, we're, we're proving contrary to that, I guess. So I don't know. Yeah, we, we seem to be completely unfazed by the away game, which is very different than anything that the regular season would have indicated. Like we were so bad on the road and for us to go in there looking like we, uh, are extremely comfortable. We don't look like the, we didn't look like the underdogs against Kansas city. We, we did no. against Seattle just because the way we played and because we were, I don't think we necessarily looked phased. I thought we were really good defensively, but yeah, we don't seem phased at all, which is honestly fascinating <laughs> to see. It's like a whole thing, but that is such a weird secret about MLS, um, about like just getting hot at the right time and just like battling out for these results. And like, it was very notably not really the case with the 2013 team that went to the cup. Like they just a very consistently good team that whole season, uh, had a shot at the treble, uh, was looking <sighs> like to be a favorite for that at one point, but, <sighs> yeah. um, you know, blew all three of those chances, unfortunately. So, mm. and, and also the, the two game format really, uh, in the playoffs really kind of made sure almost that the better team won out, um, or like the, the more consistent team won out. I don't know if RSL could be where they are right now with a two game series in this playoff um, format, but I'm, I'm glad that we have the single elimination because I think it makes the game so much more fun. Um, and 
it really just comes down to those individual moments and the players you have on your team and whether or not they believe they can do it, which I like Trevor was saying earlier, like I hate the whole like heart discussion, I guess, or who wants it more. Um, but sometimes that really is what it is. And you can't measure uh, who wants it more really over the course of a season. But sometimes in these individual playoff games that are one and done and you get knocked out and you go home, if you lose, like sometimes the team really, it really just comes down to who wants it more. And that's really what it looked like against Kansas city was like Kansas city, despite having the fans, the stadium, everything else uh, didn't look like they wanted it as much as RSL did. And I think that was reflected in the outcome, which is good for us. Yeah. I guess more <laughs> podcasting material. Yeah, that, that's for sure. All right. Should we talk uh, Portland Timbers really quick before we wrap yes. this thing up? Uh, so the first thing we've got here is a list of the players that are at least definitely out that we know now. Uh, the first is Everton Louise, who, as we said before, is suspended. I'd like yeah. to talk about what, what this means for the team. And I think I suddenly discovered what I meant by uh, a note further down the document. Uh, how do we solve the midfield without Everton Louise? There mm, we go. There we go. Okay. Uh, and then for Portland, uh, Dairon Espria who is uh, suspended after a red card. Stupid, stupid behavior. Yep. Again, like they had just Silly behavior. Yeah. They scored a beat or they scored in like one of the, in the last couple of minutes to beat Colorado in Denver. And then he just like lost his head and got, I mean, you're winning well, the game. To be fair, <laughs> like, like to give him a little bit of space, he was like, clearly provoked for sure at the same time it's like you're in the last seconds of the game you're winning you're going on like like literally laugh and provoke you and then walk away like you're winning the game dude you don't (laughs) need to be in the fight yeah you don't need to be the tough guy there you don't need to do that yeah really silly behavior and then uh the other uh, guaranteed out for portland is sebastian blanco who notably has been uh, really difficult for RSL to handle. Uh, yep. Scored two goals for Portland when they were at Rio Tinto Stadium. Uh, didn't score in the six-one win in Portland, <sighs> um, but but did have two assists during that. Uh, one assist in the game in I can't believe we've played him three times in uh, yeah. August as well. Yep, just a hard player for us to play against. Uh, you know, it is unfortunate that he's out with a with an injury, injury. um yeah. but you know let, i'm i'm happy that we won't have to face him certainly yeah feel bad for yeah. the guy though and also this game is on one of the things that worries me is that this game is on turf and we just i feel like we just aren't really good on turf but i don't know i don't know if that's just a me thing but um it's a good question um, that makes me nervous but yeah on the flip side yeah albert's likely to play or he's likely to be available i guess yeah so it sounds like uh he's cured of covid that's not uh actually how that <laughs> should be worded uh he took ivermectin oh, no. and, <laughs> please, sorry dear listener please don't do this do you think he got the antibody treatment uh he was mm. we we had confirmed by the club that he was vaccinated Right. Uh, he said the first couple of days were were not fun. Uh, yeah, but it sounds like it was pretty easy from there. Just you know, quarantine. I wonder. I really wonder if like they give players antibody treatment when they get. Yeah, um, I wonder if it would be necessary in this case. I would. Assume, I mean, 
I would assume it helps you get over it a little quicker. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But but thankfully, you know, it it's again the lesson is, you know, be vaccinated if you're able. Uh, yeah. And if you think you're not able, maybe seek a second opinion, um, because not all doctors agree on that. Um, yes. So it's so all that to say, like Alberta Snack should be back, uh, and also you should get the vaccine. And uh, and now the CDC is recommending the booster for everybody, so uh, go do that too. Yes, sir. So the bigger question then is probably what Trevor is asking here. I wasn't going to ask a question. I was just going to, we have a quote from Albert Rusnak from our friend, Tom Hackett. Um, The only concern now is uh, he should, he's clear to the COVID-19 like health and safety protocol. So it's really just a fitness issue and coming back from COVID-19, that's been an issue for some players. Um, But Tom was nice enough to talk to Albert, and Albert said, I am not worried about my fitness. I've just been resting the past couple of days because my body needs it. But as the days go by, I will start to move around more. If the guys can win on Sunday, which they did, I will have three or four training sessions before the conference finals, and that will be plenty given how much playing time I have played already this year. So Rusnak is very confident that he'll be ready to go. Um, Sounds like he's very confident he'll be 100% for this game. And and it really like there's there's obviously no way we can know the impact like in true terms the impact that his absence had, but it it did appear to be a catalyzing force for the team. Yeah, uh, which you know we we all laughed that uh, it looked like he had died, and that's why they were holding up his <laughs> his shirt. But uh, it you know it it clearly mattered to the team, and here we are. Yeah. So the big question for me then is, uh, should we revisit the three five two now that Albert's back? No. Next question. Uh, how do we solve the midfield without <laughs> Everton Louise? And these two things pair together really well. Yeah. So, I mean, there are two options here, right? So the the two options are same formation, except we slot in uh, the exact same lineup we had against Kansas City and Seattle, except we slot in Beasler for Everton and we put Albert where Johnny Menendez was, which is, I think is the most likely scenario. Um, I, maybe there's a situation where Joni takes the spot of Chang on the other side, but I, I kind of doubt that's what's going to happen. It's, I feel like it's going to be Albert in for Menendez, uh, everything else the same except Beasler in for Everton. The other situation, which I feel like is more unlikely, uh, is Crylock moving back and taking the spot of Everton and Albert playing the 10, which if you would have asked me a year ago, a year and a half ago, we were not in this position a year ago, a year and a half ago, I would have said that is the correct thing to do, but I don't know anymore. <laughs> no, just this season. Like, I mean, we've talked about it a hundred times. That's apparently Demir's like natural position. I'm putting that heavily in quotes, but over the past season or so, like every time he's played that position, it's been not a disaster, but it's been like an obvious we're using Demir wrong in that case. Like he can play that position. I don't know that he can play it very well anymore. Um, It's just not where he's best utilized and we have other players that can do that we can do that just as good as Demir but then you also have Demir up top or you also have Demir as an attacking player um, which is 
way more beneficial. So I would also be very surprised if we decided to ask Demir to play that role. Um, the thing I'm the thing that's more likely than that scenario, I think, is we might do like a four man back line with just a Pablo or just an Everton as like a defensive midfielder, and then keep Krylak on the field, put Rusnak on the field, and just have more attacking players up front. Ooh, ooh, how about a double pivot? Are those still oh. cool? I know they were cool a few years ago. I mean, that's kind of how we've played with Everton Pablo during the three five two thing. Yeah. It's yeah, kind of good. I don't think it worked very well at all, but no. there was several other reasons why that was never going to work in that situation. But yeah, no, I, I think most likely scenario, the, the easiest solution to the puzzle is put in Beasler for Everton, put in Rusnak for either Joni or Chang, whoever wins it on the day. Okay, and and here's a different question for you then. Uh, what do you think about putting uh, Krylik up top and dropping Rubin and putting Rusnak at the 10? Ooh, why do you drop Rubin? Because he was bad. <laughs> you yeah, mean drop him like from the field, like he's not on there? Yes. Yeah. Oh, not, I thought you meant like drop him, him in deeper in the midfield. No, no, no. This would be something that we did do many times uh, before we got Ruby Rubin and Bobby Wood. And when we were not playing Sam Johnson. Um interesting i don't like that idea just because of what we saw in the past um but it would definitely be like it i'm sure it's on somebody's radar at the team and it it could work much better now than it did in the past in the past when we tried it when sam johnson was out and we just played demir as like the lone striker we asked him to play a much more like hold up number nine role and i don't think crylock excelled at that i think crylock excels a lot more as a second or third or fourth attacking presence in the box. If you ask him to be the holdup player, ask him to play Rubin or Bobby Woods kind of position, I don't think it works very well. Yeah, I do no, like that great. it keeps I do like that it gets us a few more attacking options, but tactically again, I think you're putting somebody in a position where they're not necessarily set up to succeed. Yeah. They're going to be just as effective as another person and you're taking Demir out of his primary role to kind of like it to though. not really gain anything. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's, it's pretty risky, but yeah, I don't know. So here's the, this would be a, a very different conversation for me. If uh, it were Paulo Ruiz, who is out um, because Everton offers that defensive crunch that the Pablo does not bring. Right. And that we he tries so hard though. He, he like, does <laughs> he commits so many fouls. He's just 135 pounds of effort out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, if it were uh, Everton still in the lineup, I'd be really curious about Rusnak deeper in the midfield uh, because he's constantly drifting back there. He's really, he's very tidy on the ball. He's very good building possession and forming connections. And that's been one of my, like, not a complaint against him, but he, he's a luxury player for that, that role. Yeah. Um, but but maybe it's worth a try, but probably not now. Probably yeah, not. But I, pa I, Pablo will do whatever he wants, so <laughs> I, I wouldn't be shocked if he did something totally out of the blue. No, yeah, like I said, I think Pablo, my worry is that Pablo will just overthink it and just, you know, 
put out like a three five two or some goofy thing that he thinks yeah. will work and like in a one game thing i hope pablo's smart enough to know that like you just need to win one game you don't need to win it by being yeah by overthinking it and by being too clever like you're it, yeah it, it feels like he is like he sorry it feels like he is not gonna do that like yeah. he feels like he is smart enough to not do that yeah <laughs> like it feels like he is the type of person that's recognized what's worked the last three games that we've played and uh it's gone well so so how yeah. how confident are we in nick beasler then i i'll put the unpopular one out there i'm pretty confident in nick beasler i think he is not the crunching tackler that um everton, everton is, is yeah. so like we're, we're gonna miss that from him mm-hmm. but as far as a keep possession just shuttle passes around um be a defensive presence he's far from the greatest and i don't want to make it sound yep. like i think he's the best in the world but he's good enough he's he can fill that role and i think he's through most of the season been a little unfairly maligned with well, his turnovers and giveaways because his yeah. passing accuracy honestly is one of the best on the team i think it's fair well i, I he was a victim of like the, the last few times we've seen him we were in the three five two yeah. right so like yeah. his any mistakes he made looked incredibly costly because they immediately turned into uh goal scoring chances for the other team so um including like the most egregious one recently was i mean obviously that situation against san jose um but yeah i think that with this formation we i mean i remember toward like the first half of the season we were like pleasantly surprised with beasler in so much that we didn't have a ton to say about him which i think is a good thing in that type of position like he wasn't like making egregious mistakes i thought he had been just fine because we did see a lot of him early on in the season yeah um and so yeah i feel pretty confident uh i think he's an underrated player at that position um i'm not like super concerned about not having everton because everton can kind of do everton type stuff sometimes that can kind of that that's either a good thing or a bad thing beasler is always nick beasler so i think uh it doesn't worry me as long as we line up in the same way we have been. Um, the four, two, three, one, I think is a far more forgiving formation for all of our players uh, in the midfield and defensive thirds. So, yeah, he's just a very safe player. I think, you know, exactly where you're going to get from him and you can kind of plan for that. Um, yeah. So as far as that, I don't think missing Everton is going to be like the reason that we lose the game. If we mm-hmm. lose the game. Um, I think there are other reasons that other things that I might be more concerned about, but that I'm, I'm not overly concerned about it. So we've seen Nick Beasler in exactly one playoff game and, uh, oh, no, it, no okay. It, don't bring it up. It was not good, <laughs> but I, I just want us to reflect on, like, I, I say these things about Pablo Bastarini doing weird things. But the weirdest thing that's ever happened at Real Salt Lake for me. This was him, this was thing, him but... starting over Justin at center back, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I think it's actually worth talking about Justin Glad a little bit. We haven't talked about him much, um, aside from to say he's been good. Uh, yeah. But, but maybe it's worth ending the episode on just a, a little bit about Justin Glad, uh, because I think he's been tremendous. Uh, mm-hmm. His positioning is good. He's 
not over involving himself in the attack. He's not being asked to play like right back in a three man back line. Yeah. Uh, it's almost it's, like he's a really good player. Yeah. Almost. Taylor mentioned it on the broadcast that it seemed like Justin Glad was kind of the leader on this team or, or assuming like the leadership role in defense. And that was a big part of why this team defensively has been so good. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. Um, I don't know any like behind the scenes if he's like actually a leader, um, but he's definitely the most experienced player on the back line in MLS. Um, and he's the most sturdy presence back there. You know exactly what you're going to get from him. And it's a very good game. Like 95% of the time. He almost never makes r- bad decisions. He almost never gives away a penalty. He he's just one of the most consistently good center backs in mm-hmm. the entire league. And I think he's kind of gone under the radar in that respect um, for a very long time. Yeah. Yep. He's been superb. Been very, very, very pleased with everything he's been doing, especially in the playoffs. Just, yep. And I know like, I don't think we explicitly mentioned it on this episode, but the, the lack of him needing to make tackles is indicative of just like the defensive organization around him has been awesome and not really putting him in dangerous positions because, I mean, he is a very good tackler of the ball, but if he doesn't need to make a tackle, that means we're not really in a position where last-ditch tackles are necessary, which is a uh, huge plus. So, yep, good stuff. Yeah. All right, well, uh, I hope I see you all in Portland. I hope so too. And uh, maybe we should stay on the line and uh, talk Portland a little bit. But I also that, saw a tweet from Trey earlier this morning saying that there was maybe something that maybe the club was putting together um, to maybe help get fans there. Maybe I don't know if it was a bus situation or what. Yeah, um, somebody rumored that the team's trying to put together a bus or, or something like that. Yeah, somebody he tweeted. What is Trey doing at four in the morning? Probably be on Twitter. Twitter. Yeah, yeah that's kind uh, of his thing. <laughs> I like lost that tweet, but he uh, someone tweeted at him was like asking if um, if uh, there could be some help it, through the club or something, and he said movement coming on this soon or something like that. Yeah, so maybe. The, the- general vibe that i get from talking to people in the club or people who know people in the club is that the team they want to get as many people to portland as possible and they're trying to see what they can do um the concern that i have is just in the background them not having not announced anything yet or knowing anything yet is because they're going back and forth with portland about how many tickets they're going to allow and this is totally mm. like conspiracy theory i don't know anything about anything gotcha yeah but portland historically last time I went to Portland for a playoff game, the ticket was like $65 or some crap like that. Um, some insanely expensive price. And they only allowed, I think it was like 500 people. Um, it was a, a really small allotment for what was a crucial playoff game. So I, I feel like <laughs> that might be part of the reason is that Portland is just trying to do that kind of thing again. And the team is going back and forth with them to try to be reasonable. <laughs> but yeah. Who knows? Yeah. I don't I, like I said, I have no idea, but I do know that the people at the club want as many people there as possible and are working to make it as easy as possible to get to the game for as many people as possible. What that means at the end of the day, I have no idea, but yeah, they want us there. 
Uh, and a quick reminder for anyone listening still, uh, if you are going to the game, make sure you bring a photo of your vaccination card. Or if you, you are mean? not vaccinated, uh, a uh, PCR test, negative PCR test, obviously. Showing that it's within 72 hours. Yes. And I think you have to bring your actual card. You do not. Okay. Can you bring the app Docket that has your medical records Ooh, on it? Isn't uh, that just a Utah only thing? Well, it's not, but they only have uh, digitized records in, on only, in only a few states, and Utah is one of those few states. Yeah. So, like, I have. I bet you'd be uh, okay, but if you had a photo of your vaccination card in addition, it might not be a bad idea. Sweet. So, in uh, and and all this, say I was in uh, Seattle, what three weeks ago. Uh, with pretty strong vaccination rules around uh, at least restaurants, and a, a photo was acceptable at every location I went. So, I suspect also, that will be the case. Yeah, there's, there's also a note right now because of the way that Timber's front office handled the whole Paul Riley thing and the whole NWSL debacle that's been happening all season. Um, Timber's army is not—they're um, boycotting concessions inside the stadium, and they've politely asked that any traveling fans respect that so get some food somewhere else before the game and get some food somewhere else after the game yep i think that's a, a safe bet uh and there are a lot of great places to get oh, food, there's so. hundreds of, of them all right near the stadium yep. as well so yep. food should not be a concern and drink okay well on that note shall we call it a night I think let's so. Do it. All right, let's fade the music in and uh, good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Good night.